Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. This is episode 231 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Dr. Gabriella Gabby Constantinescu. She is an adjunct assistant professor in the Communication Sciences and Disorders Department at the University of Alberta and a CXO for TrueAngle. She is also an affiliate of the Institute for Reconstructive Sciences and Medicine. After obtaining her MSc SLP from the University of Alberta, Gabby started her career as an SLP at the IRSM, where she amassed over a decade of experience assessing and treating swallowing difficulties in patients following treatment for head and neck cancer. Gabby then went on to obtain her PhD, where her research directly influenced the design and development of a mobile system for swallowing exercise called the Mobility, which is now a product of TrueAngle. During her PhD, Gabby received several personal awards and honors, including the Alberta Innovates Health Solutions Clinician Fellowship. After obtaining a postdoctoral fellowship in the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta, Gabby became a co-founder and CXO for TrueAngle. Her research brought her to the 2020 Michael Donovan NFOSD Innovation Award at the, Dysphagia, at the Dysphagia Research Society Conference and the 2020 ACSLPA Honor of the College Award. One of Gabby's favorite academic activities is knowledge translation from publications to presentations and podcasts such as this one to blogs and educational videos. She lives in Edmonton, Alberta with her wonderful partner, Jeff, and their three fur friends. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, my friends. 
If you've been a longtime listener of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, then you know that MedBridge Education has been such a huge supporter of this podcast. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And I'm happy to talk about their promotion that they have going on through till the end of the month, till the end of April. And that is you get their premium education plan for just the cost of their normal education plan. So uh, instead of paying $320 for their premium plan, you get that for just $95 by using promo code SYP or going to medbridgeed.com forward slash SYP. And a portion of that does go back into helping us run things here at Swallow Your Pride, but I am eternally grateful for everything MedBridge has done in supporting Swallow Your Pride podcast, but I also equally am a user of it and love all of the courses that they have to offer. Uh, They have such unique speakers, such unique topics. Uh, They have, this year they have some presentations on COVID recovery, water protocols, effective voice therapy, IDC, cognitive interventions, the role of the SLP in the ICU, Um, esophageal dysphagia, fees, normal variants versus anatomic abnormalities. So, so many great new courses. And again, if you use the promo code SYP, you get their premium plan, which is usually $320 for only 95 a year. And that also comes with access to their home exercise library, patient education handouts, home exercise builder, online patient portal, patient mobile app, and then of course, access to all of their courses. So again, if you're interested, that's promo code SYP, or just go to medbridgeed.com forward slash SYP and get that premium plan for only $95. So again, thank you to MedBridge Education for all of your support of the Swallow Your Pride podcast. Hello, Gabby. Hello, Teresa. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, you as well. All right. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. For sure. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Gabby. Um, My full name is Gabriella Constantinescu, which is very long. And I've had a a lot of fun filling Scantron sheets when I was younger. (laughs) Um, I go by Gabby and uh, yeah, patients uh, ask me all the time if I've become a speech pathologist because my name is Gabby. That's not that's not the case anyway. Um, I am a speech language pathologist. Uh, I've trained up here in Canada at the University of Alberta. Um, I finished in, gosh, a while ago now, 2008. And uh, I worked as a speech language pathologist for about a decade with primarily with patients with head and neck cancer and a history of head and neck cancer in uh, the Institute for Reconstructive Sciences and Medicine here in Edmonton, Alberta. And that was a phenomenal experience that ultimately shaped a lot of what's happened uh, with me later on. Um, Then I got the the PhD bug while I was there. It was inevitable with the people around me there. And I did my PhD to feel, now with the pandemic, everything feels like I can't even tell time anymore. 2013, finished 2018. Yeah. And then a postdoc after that. And now I'm in industry and uh, I, I had, this was never a path that I had envisioned, but I'm so excited to be a part of it. And every day is a new day, exciting and uh, learning lots of things. So I'm happy to share some of that with you today yeah. and your audience. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. So Gabby was actually on before she was on back on episode 142, but I wanted to bring her back on again because I know she's just got so much good information to share with us. And I, you know, I, I, I love your role and what you're doing right now, Gabby, because I think there's such a, 
I don't know what the word is, maybe stigma or something about being involved in both research and business, like that relationship just can't coexist. And I think that's what we need to break that stigma because I think that has to coexist in order for us to have allow some of these technologies to develop the way that we as SLPs need them to. You know, I, I get I get so frustrated because I get pitched by products all the time from people that want to come on here and talk about them. And I'm like, well, you know, do you have an SLP on staff? And they're like, well, no, no, you know, we don't want to get involved in clinical. And I'm like, how can you expect this product to be something that SLPs embrace when you haven't taken any consideration from SLPs hundred you know, percent to what you're doing? Yeah. So don't know that I meant to just jump right in with that, Gabby, but I did. So let's go with it. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, you are absolutely right. And um, and I can't I can't even really say too much about that because I was on that side of the fence. Um, I did think industry was ick, you know, and I, I don't know where that comes from. Right, right. Um I having having bounced around in, in other conferences and, and with other professionals, I I think it is um, predominantly in our field. I don't see it so much with physios, for instance, and I don't see it so much with um, like I worked with anapostologists, with engineers. I don't I don't see it that much, but with our field, I I maybe it might be because of my role as well now, but I I do see it. You're right. So um, I'll tell you when when I was a clinician um, full time, uh, I kind of sat at my desk and I had this notion that industry would just drop things in my lap. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but I certainly I'll admit to it. I, I felt that way. So I felt that, you know, whenever I had time and whenever I had the, I guess, the interest I could just go and find something and then that's when I would purchase it. And I, I was very, um, I'm pretty sure this is just me. <laughs> I was very self-centered, like everything and everyone should just help me. Yeah. And uh, now that I'm on this side of the fence, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is definitely not how it works. And I'm so grateful for the SLPs I've met along the way who were not like me at all and um, have given us so much feedback and have worked with us and um, are, yeah, I don't know how they do it, but I, I wish I was more like them back, back in the day when I first started. So yeah, I, I, I think the example you gave just now is, is very relevant. Um, I think about this a lot because I'm I'm in this role, so just for your listeners, I'm now a, a chief. I, I guess in startups, everyone's chief, <laughs> chief experience <laughs> officer. Essentially, my role is um, just making sure everyone has the best experience possible while using our product. Yeah, when I think of other products out there, I think, okay, if I want a sweater or shoes, I can go to the store and buy a sweater and choose whenever I want. But when it comes to a product that's brand new to a field and it it's kind of paving the way, kind of like, I'm going to say mobility because people probably know we're affiliated um, with mobility. I'm affiliated with mobility. It's It's tricky because you're not necessarily making a sweater. You're You're solving a problem and that product doesn't exist yet. So it's almost like saying, like if I'm trying to go with this analogy, um, if a speech pathologist out there, let's say, said, 
I'm cold. I, every time I go outside and I'm wearing a t-shirt, I'm cold and I need someone to solve this problem. Well, first of all, there has to be someone out there who's listening to you and who has the skills and the creativity to to think of how to solve that problem for you. So then they might go, okay, well, let's ideate. Let's make, I don't know, let's make um, a suit out of cardboard or something. I don't know. So they'll make that, they'll get you to wear it. And then they'll say, okay, well, are you warm now? You're going to go, absolutely not. I'm not even comfortable. This is ridiculous, right? Um, And then they'll go back and they'll continue to ideate. But without that feedback and back and forth, we're not going to get to something that, you love wearing and feel cozy and it actually keeps you warm. So it serves all those functions. You might not know what the end product is. We're going to get there together. So a hundred percent, we have to work together. Um, And ultimately it's all of this is for the patient. So SLPs are working to improve the lives of patients. So are we, and so are researchers. So together, I think, if we step outside of those silos and collaborate, we're going to get there. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much, Gabby. I, yeah, I, I love that analogy. I, I I, didn't think, I, you know, I'm grateful to whoever made me the shirt today that I am not wearing a cardboard <laughs> box right now. But I do, I do love that because that is the reality of it. Like there, I, I, I'm amazed when I talk to some of these companies and businesses that are creating these products for SLPs and patients with swallowing disorders and they, you know, want constant feedback from SLPs because we're the ones that are working with the patients all the time. And then it just strikes me as so odd as, as these other ones that don't want to work with the SLPs. And it's, it's crazy. And, I, and, you know, I think I've loved, I've had a lot of friends and colleagues in the last few years that have sort of left patient care and are now doing what you're doing and, and are working with these companies. And they're like, I love that it. it's so fascinating to see the technology change and, you know, what we really can do for our patients. And it's just, it, we absolutely need that that creativity and and like you said the ideating to get to that to that point so mm-hmm. yeah hopefully our patients mm-hmm. are getting more help than just using a cardboard box <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure a hundred percent and and uh, I think um just like you said Teresa it it is um it is about ideating and it's it's also about impact so at the end of the day I became a clinician and subsequently a researcher. And in my head, it was always about impact. I want to have impact. And uh, whether you do that with the patient sitting right in front of you and whether you do that through publications or um, talks, and now whether you do it through creating something that can actually be useful to somebody, it's it's all impact. So it's it's just taken different shapes along the way, but it's still all very wonderful. And just to see that you you can have impact that, that, yeah. Yeah. It it gives you goosebumps every time you wake up in the morning. It does. I love (laughs) it. All right. Yeah. Let's dive in a little more specifically. So, so yeah, I, your research, your background is all in SEMG biofeedback and obviously what, what the device that you work with is around. So let's dive into that some more. Yes. Let's, um, I mentioned we worked at uh, the Institute for Reconstructive Sciences and Medicine here in Edmonton. And um, I was very, very fortunate because the person who had started that lab before me, Dr. Jenna Rieger, had, she was a visionary, one of those people, and and was very much involved with industry and had brought in a lot of different technologies into our lab that I had never even heard of, didn't even touch in school. 
I, I touched a lot. So hopefully no one from University of Alberta is listening to this and going, what? <laughs> um, I did work with a lot of other texts, but not the ones in that lab. And in fact, I was listening to the other podcast um, with Dr. Grower that you had just recently. And he was talking about how, how much or um, how far the field had come. And I I had to reflect back on when I went through school because he's absolutely right. When I went through school, the dysphagia course was a one month course. And so our exposure to everything that a speech pathologist has to do in that field, let alone the tech was very limited. And so, yeah, it, uh, sometimes I get impatient about the pace of things and listening to Dr. Grower. It's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're still very young. Anyhow, so in that lab, we had the K-Pentax machine. Probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with it. And with it came uh, what's called the Swallowing Signals Lab. So there's a data acquisition box about yay big. Um, and you could plug all sorts of things into it, like uh, a surface electromyography sensors. You could do manometry with it. Um, and so my predecessor, uh, who was going on maternity leave and, and I was replacing her there, was coaching me on how to do this. But that was the crash course that I got on how to use that. Um, I remember calling the company and asking for help and no one kind of really knew how to help. I was like, well, how do we place these things? Um, so there's a lot of trial and error and fumbling and like figuring it out. And so admittedly, I was not a huge fan of EMG when I first started <laughs> because it felt foreign. It felt awkward and I, no one likes fumbling in front of a patient. You want to, especially at the beginning, you want to know, like you know what you're doing. But anyhow, I was using the, the K-Pentax SEMG with patients when they were coming in for, for swallowing therapy. And um, I don't know if anyone else has had this experience, but hospitals are a busy, busy place. Sometimes you have to work in this room, sometimes in this other room, the elevators don't always work. And so I'm moving this thing around and you haven't seen me in real life, but I'm a tiny person. So trying to see around this K-Pentax machine, it's quite a ridiculous um, image. But um, I, I did have the good fortune of working with uh, an interdisciplinary team where the disciplines were not your conventional disciplines that we learn about in school. So next door to me were a couple of engineers Aside from them, we had anaplastologists who are medical artists. Um, we worked with uh, prosthodontists, um, designers, so very, very different disciplines. But anyway, I befriended the engineers next door, and uh, I'd often complain about how I had to haul this thing up and down, and uh, patients didn't want to come in because they're like, okay, Gabby, I... I just had head and neck cancer. This is literally what someone told me. I just had head and neck cancer. You want me to spend 30 minutes driving to see you to do this and then 30 minutes to drive back home. And I don't have that much time left from what I understand. And I love you, but I don't want to spend it coming in and out of this clinic. So all these things swimming in my head, of course, complaining to these engineers. And engineers, if you've ever met them, they're they're problem solvers by, by nature. So they're like, oh, well, well we can do something for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll put something together that's much smaller than this big machine. EMG has been around forever, so we'll just do that. And sure enough, within a week, Teresa, they've put together like 
something like a little, they called it a bread, bread board, or I don't know, they're tech, techie terms. So it was about this big and it plugged into a laptop and it worked. There was a squiggly line and, and all of that. Knowing what I know now, of course, having been on the side of industry all this way, we could have never used that with a patient. You, you should never use tech like that unless it's part of a research study and you have approvals in place. Um, but of course, we, we didn't know that. So we kept going. We kept tinkering around, putting it on ourselves, thinking that we could one day use this with patients. And the techie stuff, I have to admit, you know, I, I like I like technology, but I wasn't particularly drawn to this. I that stage in my life was really enamored with gamification and the concept of that. So I'm happy to go into that later. But um, but these engineers just kept going and they kept trying new things. And it got to a point where it was fairly small, like about the size of my palm. And uh, and then we realized, well, we, we don't have the funds. We don't have the leadership to really go any further. This kind of pet project for us. And um, at the time, Dr. Jenna Rieger and I were not as close. She was my supervisor and, you know, was my professor. I was scared to, to talk to her. <laughs> I don't know why. But anyway, I, I said, hey, if, if you ever want to help us get funding for this project and lead this for us, that, that would be really nice. <laughs> and I didn't expect an answer, but um, sure enough, she said yes and was very excited to come on board. And um, from then on, Teresa, everything was history. Like this woman is amazing at leading teams. And that's what you truly, truly need in these situations is someone who will just persevere and keep going, as you know, and, yeah. and uh, when things get really, really tough. So she um, she was able to get the funding and uh, build a real team around us, um, start research projects, pardon me. Then I did my PhD. And uh, yeah, and then from there, very, very like speeding things up here because I'm talking too much. Um, from there, once once it was done, so just so your listeners know, once you have something that works, it's called a minimum viable product, and it's it's MVP, kind of like a <laughs> like sports lingo as well. But once you have that, that's it. You you. You can't go any further. Just it's it stays in the walls of your lab. It stays within the realms of your research. It's just a thesis or another publication, unless someone is willing to take it one step further. So of course, after all that work, no one really wanted to just let it go, but no one really had the courage to take it one step further. And of course, Jenna stepped up to the plate being the, the kind of woman that she is. And uh, she said, okay, well, we'll start a company and we'll try to get this into the hands of patients. So this, uh, she started this company, I think in 2018, 2019. I, I came on board in 2019 and we brought this into the hands of patients in September, 2020 in the States. So we've been at this for a while since 2013 and a long, long road and probably still a long road ahead of us, but it's been very, very exciting along the way. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, I think SLPs are sort of just now realizing how interesting and great and wonderful of a tool it really truly can be for our patients. And so I'd love to hear from you 
why it's so valuable to you guys and why you're continuing to press on with getting this product to market more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I when I used biofeedback with the K-Pentex, one thing I noticed was this aha moment in patient's eyes. So if I didn't use it, because um, you had sometimes you had patients who just kind of were interested, trying to explain effort for an activity that we hardly ever think about. I never thought about my swallow until I started learning about it. And certainly our patients probably don't think about their swallow until there's something wrong, right? So now you're asking them not only to think about it, but also swallow with effort and push hard and push hard with the back of your tongue, like you're saying key or push hard with the tip of your tongue. And we have all these different things that we tell patients to do. And there's literature out there showing some are better than others. Um, And the Mendelssohn maneuver swallow, uh, that one's a super tricky one. I I have a lot of fun watching our our teammates try to demo the Mendelssohn maneuver to, to customers because it is a hard one to do. So I, when I used biofeedback with patients, I did see this aha moment in just teaching what I wanted to see out of them. And, and then they became really engaged with the activity. So they would look at the screen and they would try harder. It, it didn't become this sort of, I guess, for lack of a better word, like boring task, like do it again, do it again. And yeah, they were just more engaged. I Knowing now what these things are called after going through school and reading a, a few more articles, I do think it, it was self-efficacy that we were getting at. So they were starting to believe and have the confidence that they could do these exercises because they could see that they could do them. Um, there was a lot more that we could uh, uh, note. So for instance, instead of just putting in my soap notes, we've done eight out of 10 effortful solids today. We could talk about reaching the target or not reaching the target. We could talk about any sort of cueing that I had to give or not give. Um, we could talk about uh, anything that the patient had noticed on the screen or didn't notice and do a lot more. So patients w- were more engaged with that, uh, with biofeedback. Now that I've gone through using it a fair bit, that that piece is still important to me, but I've also realized it's quite a nice tool to have to understand treatment dose. And I was just listening to Brittany's talk before yeah. we jumped on yeah. <laughs> um, because I've been following her work closely. If we don't understand treatment dose and what our patients are actually doing at home, how can we really make any sort of conclusions about what's working and what's not working for whom and why and what to do next even? So here is a tool through biofeedback where we can not just allow the patient to to do more at home, but also capture that adherence a little bit more objectively than self-report. And it's so funny to me how patients get about this when they know that you're remotely monitoring them. Um, We have a little clinician portal. So uh, when I first 
when I ran my first study with, with the mobility, I'd have some patients text me and they'd go, just so you know, I was moving yesterday and that's why I didn't do any exercises. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, the, the adherence when there's that accountability, at least now to me, it seems like it's a little bit higher than what I was seeing with, with papers either being brought in or not brought in by patients with the pen and paper diaries. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating. I think this, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about gamification too, but you know, everyone knows like the pros and cons of technology and the dopamine hits you get from your cell phone and things like that. But I think what's so interesting is I, you know, I use this workout program on my phone and it's like, I complete a workout and it gives me all these like, kudos, great job. But it also is down to like the very nitty gritty, like you lifted three pounds more this week. Great job. And like in the grand scheme of things, it's like, whoop-dee-doo, that's not a big deal. But like the compound effects of it, like, you know, then the next week it'll say, you've improved your strength 20% since the beginning, Exactly. you know, and I'm like, oh my God, yay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm literally addicted to this dang app because of that feedback that it gives me. And it's just so motivating. And so I love that we are integrating that with our patients so much because I think for swallowing, it's just this little black box that no one can see into, you know, you know, if I'm working out at the gym, I can tell that my, you know, arms, you know, my arms are getting leaner, my muscles are growing, but with our swallowing, you just truly, you can't see it. And unless our patients are telling us, oh, it's much easier for me to eat this now, you know, we just don't know. So I love that we're starting to really, really, truly hone up this whole patient, patient centered approach. Exactly. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. We have all these little gadgets and I'll call them mobile health and apps and things that that you and I use to track things, to get insights. And yet when it comes to our patients, I'm still using this, right? Holding up pen and paper for, for listeners. And so it drove me crazy when I was in clinic. It drove me crazy. And I thought, why? Why is that? Now I know why it is. It's because it's very hard to, to bring new yeah. tech. Um, but uh, and and the mark. Admittedly, our market is quite small. We're not everybody out there working out, right? Um, so, so to to bring the tech to, to into our field is tricky, but we need to do it. It's I think we'd be doing our patients a disservice if we're walking around with all sorts of pedometers and accelerometers and insights into how we sleep and when's the best time I should be working out and. Here we have, like you called it, a black box of of not knowing what to do. We we, sh- we should be doing that. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, awesome. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the the gamification piece that that you guys are adding in because I yeah I, lo- I love that too. Yeah, so I was a big nerd when I started my PhD. I was in this phase of just games, not not the video games. I was never good at those. I was one of those people that just slaps the whatever buttons and something happens. But I was into board games and I came across this TED talk by Jane McGonigal. I don't know if you've heard of her or if your listeners have heard of her. Um, And she, so this is back in, I want to say 2012, around that time, she gave this TED talk on how uh, games could be the solution for everything, so to speak. I think it was called 
Games Can Make a Better World or something. I don't remember the exact title, but I can send it to you later. And she wrote a book about it as well. She had done her PhD around how people who love games are so enthralled with them and so focused. And what is that? And how do we harness that power and that focus and that energy to and apply it to problems all around us? Um, So she's talking about everything else. I was focused on health. And so I I was thinking about this and... (laughs) The ideas are percolating in my head. And at around the same time, I'm going to get this wrong, um, the pronunciation wrong, but everyone gets my name wrong. So it's okay. I think Mihaly, check Mihaly. So he was talking about uh, flow and how there's this idea that as long as um, there's an activity that is at the optimal level for you, where your interest is just engaged just enough and it's difficult just enough that it's a challenge that you can achieve, then you are going to be in a state of flow where everything just kind of disappears. And now you are focused on this task. And the one example he gives is puzzles or something like we've all kind of lost ourselves in puzzles. But if it's too, if the activity is too low in challenge, then you're going to become bored. And if it's too high, you're going to give up. So you kind of have to find that optimal, and I think we do this with hierarchies, but I think it's more about that sweet spot more than let's get patients truly engaged in this so much so that they love dysphagia exercise. Like what a thought they're going to love it. They're going to want to do it. Um, So I had these couple of ideas in my head and then around the same time, Angela Duckworth came out with a book um, about um, perseverance and I forget exactly what that book was called now, of course. Is it Grit? Yes, Grit. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. So it's like, yes, of course, all our patients have grit. You need grit to get through this. So anyhow, these ideas kind of bubbling in my head, big on gamification at the time. And I really wanted to do my PhD on this topic. So um, a lot of the conferences that I presented at uh, weren't dysphagia related. They were at Games for Health and and that realm, um, trying to see if I could pull some of those ideas into our field. And when I sat in front of patients um, and shared this with them, and we had, you know, when we were designing mobility, we sat with patients and we had different paper prototypes because that's what you do before you, you know, spend big and develop something, have little paper prototypes and you put them in front of people and you test them. And we had, I think six, six paper prototypes and we had varied them with respect to gamification levels. So some had none. They were just like, a line going up and down, like biofeedback as you and I know it. Um, some had uh, sort of, um, I don't know how to describe it, some kind of like art sort of flow to it, like colors would change in intensity with biofeedback, that type of thing. And some were third player games, like we had a little guy jumping over obstacles and ducking and jumping over like a big hole as you're doing the Mendelssohn, that type of thing. So we put these in front of patients. And Teresa was sitting there and I was like, I hope they pick the one I like. I hope they pick the one I like. 
And they didn't. They didn't pick the gamification um, ideations that we had or the prototypes that we had. Patients gravitated towards the very simple line going up and down, which is what you see in our mobility app right now. And the reasons they gave to us were that they just wanted, they were there to work. They knew that they wanted to work and that's what they wanted to focus on. Some patients shared that they already had anxiety around the exercise. They didn't need to feel bad, like they were going to kill some little Ah. (laughs) guy if they didn't do the swallow properly. So, um, so we kind of scrapped that, that gamification aspect of it for the biofeed, the immediate biofeedback. But what we learned in that process as well was that the gamification was important for long-term sustained um, engagement with the activity. So if we wanted patients to keep coming back to using the app or to doing dysphagia exercise, uh, we had to have some game elements in there that would keep them sustained, uh, their attention sustained. So um, tracking is a big one. I mean, we do that anyhow. It's just that it's called a game element. So you, you could say that's gamification. Um, and then along the way, we, we thought, okay, well, maybe patients could collect tokens and do something with them. So these are ideas that we're still playing around with um, as we're building on top of our app. But right now we have the very bare bones of gamification and therefore long-term sustainment sustained engagement yeah Yeah. fascinating yeah Yeah. Yeah. I I love the whole feedback loop that's involved and yeah that's that's awesome yeah thanks for sharing that Gabby yeah no no worries I uh it's too bad they didn't like the one I did (laughs) I know I it's not always the worst don't you love this and they're like no I just have the Uh, simple one yeah all right uh yeah we had I remember we worked with a contracted company in Vancouver who put some prototypes together for us that had a fishing game and I think it was a fishing game and something else. And I've seen that fishing game come up a few times and I wondered what did it, what is it about fishing? (laughs) We keep coming back to, I'm not too sure, but anyhow. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Some patients told us that, um, you know, when, so I work with head and neck cancer patients and they made up the majority of our, um, patient population group for these studies. And one of them I remember shared with me, you know, when I do these exercises, oftentimes I'm on painkillers and other types of drugs, and I don't need anything else to confuse me. I just need it to be straightforward. Tell me if I'm doing it right. And am I expending enough effort for this exercise? That's all I want to know. Um, Cause then I trust that, that, what you are doing here will make me better. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, I just remembered Dr. Giselle Carnaby had given a talk. Um, it was an ASHA virtual conference very recently. And she, she mentions quite upfront that technology is not what does the work for you. You still do the work. And I think this, you know, for, for you and I, it makes sense. Um, yeah. For patients, sometimes you have to let them know that they're still the ones doing the exercises. This is just a tool that helps you get the most out of those exercises. And for some clinicians, I do find myself saying that as well. So I just wanted to reiterate it here. 100% agree with um, Dr. Carnaby. 
these technologies are just helping us get the most out of what we're already doing. So um, when I get asked, you know, is this, is mobility, what's the research behind mobility? I, there is research, but I also ask, well, it's the same as the research that is behind the effortful swallow and the Mendelssohn maneuver swallow and tongue presses, whatever else is out there that, because that is what you're doing effectively. You're doing that uh, workout program. You're just using technology to get the most out of it. Yeah. I'd argue with my workout app too, that I'm definitely still doing all of the work. Right. As well. yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I do have to practice what I preach though. Whenever, whenever I don't go to the gym, I'm like, Oof, my adherence is not very good today. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but yeah, without without knowing what um, what our patients are doing um, at home, where the therapy happens most, um, I think um, it's really hard to know whether or not our exercises are working. So, um, one of the things that um, Dr. Kukeller was talking about in your earlier podcast was you know, how we need more research. And it's not just her saying this, we're all saying this. We do need more research. Research is hard to come by and it takes a very long time to get from the finished uh, study to publication and then to implementation. And even then, um, I think research doesn't always apply to everybody. So there might be that very you know, well-controlled patient population that you're working with in a very well-controlled lab environment. And the people that are coming to your study are themselves different because the motivated people are going to, to uh, volunteer for these types of studies, right? So applying those things that we learn from literature once it does get out there um, is tricky as well. And so ultimately, I think it's on us to become many researchers. And like Brittany mentions that N of one, um, you go out there and you try something with your patient, you look at the data, you make informed decisions about what to do next. And just like in a startup, <laughs> you try, you measure, you get insights, and then you go back to the drawing board, try again, measure, get insights, try again, measure, get insights. Yeah. So without Without the proper tools like mobile health and, and the tech that's um, evolving around us, it's going to become trickier and trickier to do that. Yeah. Um, when, I was, when I was a clinician, one of the experiences that I had was of this frustrated patient who felt they had fallen through the cracks. And I don't know if this happens to anybody else out there. But once in a while, we would get that patient who would come in the door. They were happy to see you, but they were upset because it had taken so long to get yeah. to you. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm one of those people who remembers the, the not positive feedback all the time. So they, these patients would always stick in my head and I'd think about them. And so when we first um, created mobility, we thought, okay, well, let's make this tool for people who... Um, are so empowered and want to go out there and find things on their own, um, but their SLPs hasn't quite gotten to them yet, or they've been told to go home and practice the effortful swallow, um, but they, they kind of don't quite know where to start or how to do it. So, so that was 
our our thought process there is get it into the hands of patients so that nobody falls through the cracks anymore and access for everyone, et cetera. Our experience has been that it's quite tough to, to, um, to do that. So getting in front of patients is really tough and rightly so. <laughs> As industry, I, I do believe patients should be protected. Um, and so that I firmly believe in. But I, I, I still think about if I were a patient and I knew about a technology that was out there, how, how would I learn about it? And how do, we, how do we make that a little bit easier for patients who do want to hear about these things? Yeah. Um, so that, that's been a, a question mark for me. The other thing out there is that um, even when getting to, to clinicians, and, and I think this path is a little bit better uh, where we talk to clinicians, clinicians use the mobility with their patients um, for those patients who are appropriate uh, and want to purchase mobility on their own, they can. Um, but even when talking to clinicians, I'm finding that there's a very limited understanding of biofeedback in general and um, this sort of gray zone between uh, stimulating the muscle and just looking at what the muscle does, which is what biofeedback um, looks at. And then that there's different types of biofeedback sensors out there. So most people are used to the manometry type of biofeedback, um, like the IOP and the tangometer. That is a manometry. So that's one type of biofeedback sensor. Surface electromyography, different type of biofeedback sensor. And understanding from you know, the point at which the, the message is sent from the brain to the muscle to contract and that force, that pressure is generated, where in that pathway is that biofeedback sensor capturing information from? That's all of these things are important. And, and nobody has to be, I'm not saying that speech pathologists have to, you know, become experts in all this stuff, but I think it is important to understand it just enough to be able to talk to people like us, like industry and, and with patients so that you know what to ask for um, when you're talking to, to us. If you want the, this feature and that feature, um, if you understand what the technology does and what it's actually looking at, you'll have a better idea of exactly what you want to ask for. And you should definitely dream big and you should definitely ask us for whatever it is you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, and same with patients. I mean, I've had patients who were engineers and were pretty techy and wanted to understand what we were doing. And before I knew what biofeedback really was, I'd get this sort of deer in the headlights look and good looks at what your muscles are doing. <laughs> um, but if you have just, you know, a, a high level understanding, just enough to be able to talk to, to patients and get some more of that buy-in from them, um, I think it goes a long, long way. Yeah. So yeah. Um, coming back full circle to, to the course you were mentioning, um, that'll be my, my goal for anyone who comes to that course is to feel so comfortable talking about biofeedback that you could explain it simply to awesome. your patients, your managers, when you're asking for uh, technology, because, you know, they'll know if you know what you're asking for, or if you're not, <laughs> um, as well as industries so that you can keep pushing the boundaries of, of what the tech out there uh, for SLPs can do for us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So two thoughts, Gabby. So 
Mm -hmm. Um, What Gabby's talking about is she's going to be putting on an eight hour course for MetaSLP education. So MetaSLPed.com. It will be, it will be live, but we'll be having the recording as well. So um, if you guys are interested, just check that out, MetaSLPed.com. And I, and I love what Gabby just said that her whole mission behind that course is that everybody feels so confident talking about biofeedback at the end of it. And sort of what I, what I wanted to say here and tie this in is that, you know, recently I had, we had an evaluation for my son to get an AAC device. And so it was me and my son and the, his SLP, but then also the representative from the AAC company. And he, his whole background was in computer programming and engineering. And what was so interesting was like, we were all just throwing out these ideas. Like she would like, I would love for it to have capability to do this. And I was like, well, I would love for it to be able to do that. And he was like, well, I don't want it to do too much of this. And it was so fun to like, just everybody dream about this, dream device for my son and sort of him catch all these ideas and say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're not going to have this. We're going to build this in. We're not going to have this. So it just reminded me exactly what you were saying, Gabby, that we really can give our patients the capabilities to do so much more for their care and for their adherence and for making progress and for motivation. Um, But us as the SLPs just need to know more how to do that. Yeah. And I mean, I've been there. It, it's hard. Uh, there's a lot in our field already that you have to know. And so now there's all this other stuff on top of it. Oh, my goodness. But it's exciting. And and hopefully I'm able to um, explain it in a in a way that's simple and, you know, not a, an accessible way, not a threatening yeah. way. Um, yeah. I just looked at my calendar. It's actually 27, 28. So I don't want to mislead your go. audience. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, uh. Wednesday and Thursday. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I can't take credit for that line of thinking. It's really the, um, again, bringing it back full circle, but the clinic where I first worked, um, the disciplines that were around me, they helped me think outside the box. I was, you know, coming out of school, I very much thought of this is my patient and this is my toolbox and we're going to put it in front of us and let's see what we can do here. But walking outside of that clinic room and, you know, you're having lunch with engineers and designers and talking about these things, they can see your, your concerns, your issues from a completely different perspective. Like think about it. Like if, if we were looking at it on a 2d, 2d piece of paper, they're seeing it from like a 3d point of view. And so they might be able to offer a solution that we haven't even considered because we just don't have that skill set. Like designing a spoon for somebody with a glossectomy, we had somebody do that. That was super cool. The patient was involved. They offered their feedback. Um, I would have never thought of that. We would have just been doing tongue exercises and probably, you know, like gotten so far with that. Um, But here was another angle where we could support that patient. So very, very exciting things um, when you're working with these other disciplines that just can't let things go and they're they're there to just fix (laughs) problem solve. Yeah. 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 I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gabby. Anything else that you want to touch on that we didn't talk about? I don't think so. I I think I've chatted a lot and uh, I hope you're um, audience found this interesting and I'm looking forward to to the course as well and I'm excited about that putting the slides together has been an exciting pro- uh, process for me as well and tying making it a story out of it so it's been really yeah, good yeah I love it awesome 
Well, thank you so much, Gabby. This was wonderful. Yeah, thanks, Teresa. Nice to see you again. Take care. You as well. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at teresarichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.